why did the accountant push the wages, pay, and bonuses down the hill? I don't know. She wanted to see the pay roll. (laughs) There you go. go. I'm going to tell you mine. What did one accountant say to her friend, also an accountant, after her husband left her for another accountant? I I do not know. It's a cruel world out there. It's a (laughs) cruel. Hello, and welcome to the Startup Stack. I'm your host, Lewis Farrell, the founder and CEO of Rocket Place. This week, we're joined by Greg Capitolo, founder of Ativo Partners, a full-service finance and accounting firm in San Francisco. Greg was extremely generous with his time and expertise. He let us pick his brain about everything from building a business to common scaling and cash flow issues and how to think about fundraising in the age of COVID. There's a lot to get to. Here's Greg. One, two, go. Listen, it's great to chat today. I was wondering, just to start off, if you could give us an explanation for Ativo Partners, you guys are a full-service accounting and finance firm. And if you, if you could give us um, some background on what a full-service accounting and finance firm is and how you came to founding it. Sure. So Ativo Partners, as you said, is a full-service finance and accounting firm. And with that, we are focused on all the infrastructure and processes around finance and accounting. And that can mean from the uh, basic uh, accounting for transactions, so accounts payable, billing, payroll. There is complexity that develops through issuing financial statements. Mm -hmm. And then as Mm -hmm. well on the finance side with our CFOs, we provide uh, strategic uh, financial advice around what might be structured uh, finance, it might be around developing financial plans and models, working with your management team and board to uh, understand cash runway, how to allocate resources, how to think strategically about uh, investing and accessing funds to grow your business. Mm-hmm. And so that that's what we mean by full stack. And then in terms of uh, founding Ativo Partners, um, I, wor- I worked with uh, both uh, Rebecca Lee and Portia Kirsten, my co-founders, uh, prior to founding um, the firm. And as we were talking about um, the, the space that we're in, we saw that there were certain things that um, we felt we could improve. And, and we said, if we go found a, a new firm, we, we can implement these things. And, and yeah. those those. Items are one, um, we pu- always put the client first. And so we're really focused on what we're delivering, the support we're providing, and set an expectation for our clients that, that we want to meet. Uh, two, we, are, we want to develop a collaborative and continuous learning environment. And so the team members that we hire we look for those um, attributes in them. Are they excited about learning? Because mm-hmm. because in our business, going out and working with multiple clients at a time, you're constantly um, meeting new challenges and you have to understand a new company, you have to understand their market, you have to understand their management team, and you have to understand how to do the accounting uh, and, and financial reporting for that team. You know, it, it seems like a really attractive opportunity that I could join a firm like Ativo. I could have colleagues and and be mentored 
by a group of people that has a tremendous amount of experience, while at the same time, one of the things that seems really exciting versus maybe just joining an individual company is I also get exposed to a wider array of business models. I'm wondering, if is that how you see it play out? Like, have you seen the advantages in recruiting versus others? Um, what has that been like? That's a good point, Lewis, to, to bring up is that the training ground and the professional development that you get with a through a firm like Ativo, where you have different people that you're working with, different companies that you're working with, and then different opportunities for learning, it comes at you extremely fast. And we say to our recruits and, and then uh, our team members as we hire them that if you think of this as a training ground, the next three years, you have an opportunity to accelerate your, yourself through the accounting ranks um, faster than you could in, in an individual company. And so mm-hmm. you know, we, we compete with, an in, with the individual companies based on, um, based on that professional development. We're, I mean, we're, we're competitive when it comes to other things around the environment that people work in and their salary and compensation. But, but we sell that continuous learning and collaboration. That's really a strong value for us. And, mm-hmm. and we see that as very important. Yeah. And it also seems like a really strong value proposition for your clients. You know, if I'm, if I'm a emerging growth company, as, as you describe them, and, and we're thinking about building out our finance function, it would almost be impossible in the early days for me to have the full breadth and level of expertise initially that your firm can kind of deliver on day one. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. You know, when you meet clients, um, what do they typically look like? You know, what are their capabilities on the finance side? Mm-hmm. Maybe like, what are what are the biggest things that they're typically missing? Uh, right. What are those early days like? Well, it, it, it lots of times it's very early. We're we we are exclusively focused on venture backed uh, emerging growth companies, and mm-hmm. so when many times when we meet our clients for the first time they have three found or two co-founders and two employees and no revenues and you know they're realizing that hey we've just closed some money some institutional funding we need to figure out you know where we're going to spend it and how long we'll have those resources mm-hmm. so uh, they come to us and they'll come to us and say we need an, our accounting system set up so something might be something as simple as quickbooks or zero that that will help them set up we'll set up uh something that's things that set around that uh related to vendor vendor payments related to payroll uh related to the benefits for their employees and mm-hmm. we we have a checklist that we go through to help um guide us and them through that process. And first and foremost, we want to focus on uh, making sure that their people are paid timely and and appropriately. Then we focus on paying the vendors. Then we focus on what does it look like? What do we want your financial statements to look like? And what's good for managing the business? Then we'll develop uh, more complexity around that, around um, financial um plans, financial modeling, we'll get into, you know, again, as as these companies move along and complexity builds, we'll get into pricing and, and how to, how to go to market with the sales team. I imagine you must have some companies that are just growing incredibly fast and that you've worked with companies growing incredibly fast. You know, what would, what would you say some of the tips are or strategies that you employ when you have some of these really, really fast growing companies? In terms of strategies, I think build that down to processes. Like, what are what are those processes that make you more efficient? So, specifics 
around around that are um, you know as you, as you take a look at a lot of complexity comes around to billing systems. And so mm-hmm. when we think about strategies, just a very simple strategy is there are certain pieces of information that we need as accountants to and and financial advisors to do the reporting. And so as you're putting in your billing system, as you're thinking about um, collections and you're tracking units of sales, whether it's software or 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 units of goods, you know, involve us in that process as you think strategically about how to build that um, build that platform. Yeah, totally. I mean, maybe another way I would say it is, okay, we're growing really quickly. We have all these sales or bookings, et cetera. You know, I'm reporting to my investors, you know, increasingly high millions of dollars annual ARR, but I've got a cash flow problem, right? Mm-hmm. So my working capital is all off. I've got a cash. I'm actually running out of money you must have situations like this where it's like everything's going gangbusters and we're, we're running out of money and we don't even know where it is. It, 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 absolutely. And, and from that perspective, that's where that, that strategic financial advice comes in. So there's two things that we look, look at there. One there, especially when you're thinking about um, SaaS companies, there's, there's metrics that you can look at that as you're going out to do fundraising, as you're going out to look for um, debt structures to support that growth, getting that reporting right, being able to talk about those metrics in a manner that show that I'm growing today and cash flow will become positive in the future um, are, are very important to those investors and those, those debt providers. And so we work very hard to help our companies craft stories so that as they go out and do fundraising, uh, it, it's successful. And so, so that, you know, that's, you know, when, when you go back to that, um, uh, question that you had about strategically, how do you think about things? That's strategically what we want to do is begin to craft that story to say, how are we going to get from, let's say 1 million in revenues to 10 million in revenues. And that story is going to, going to show us go through product milestones. It's going to show us building our sales team, but it's also going to inform us on the resources we need to make that happen. And so we can go. And and I think that's really the key. I mean, if I think about, you know, my own experience building earnest, it wasn't necessarily like the easy question for us very often was where are we predicting growth around revenues? The much more difficult question was Given these scenarios around revenues, how much cash do we need? What what does the actual cash flow look like and the cash flow cycle? And when are we gonna have points in the in the business when we're low on cash as we are growing very quickly? Because that is the question that's really informing how much money should we raise and what is the ROI on this invested capital. And so I imagine you must just deal with that all the time, right? Because you know, investors are always asking. You know, it's one thing about well how quickly you're growing, but it's another question of why is this the amount the right amount of money for the fundraise? Is a complicated question. It, it it is, and and that's we we spend a lot of time working with our companies building. Typically, given the size that they are, we want to see that cash lasts anywhere from eighteen or if, as you complete a fundraising, it's typical that we want to see that cash last anywhere between eighteen and thirty six months. So we spend a lot of time with our clients building th- uh, two to three year models to say, what is the right amount of cash? 
And how do we think about valuations at different points in time um, as we're using that cash and as we're going out and thinking about what is the right amount of cash to use? We want to be very sensitive to that management team uh, so that so that when we go out and set valuations and ask for a certain amount of cash, that that the dilution is appropriate and and meaning that you know we're not over diluting the team uh, so that when there is a successful outcome, they get they get the monetary rewards that they that they were looking for. You know, I asked you earlier about you your founding of Ativo. But, you know, I, I want to ask you some questions of you. You're, you know, you advise a lot of entrepreneurs. That's what you do all day. But you yourself are an entrepreneur. Right. You know, as you were building Ativo, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had building the company? The biggest challenge for us to date has been um, finding great people. And, and I think, you know, in the market that, that we were in pre, let's say, COVID, uh, we, we had very low unemployment we, we as a team, given our geographic location in Silicon Valley, Northern California, uh, we're competing against a number of startups, you know, that are um, very enticing to, to people because, you know, as we've seen, there's many successes and there, there's financial rewards and there's, you know, it's exciting to, to be in a company that's growing quickly. And so attracting that talent that we wanted to put in front of our clients has, has been very difficult, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those two key things with, uh, a, a, uh, an excitement about continuous learning and the willingness to spend some time sharing your knowledge with others is, is really, um, is really hard to find. And I think much, you know, everybody wants those types of types of values and those types of skills in, in their team members. And so that that's been the most difficult um, part of, of, of building the firm is, is, is building our team members. And then um, we, we have, I wouldn't call this difficult, but it's, it's structuring it. We're, we, um, as we're building the business and we're up to 30 team members now, um, how do we build a, uh, uh, like our clients, how do we build a go-to-market strategy that continues to keep our pipeline full? So as we were uh, very early, we could um, rely on individual referrals. So so people that I knew or people that Rebecca knew or people that Portia knew. Sure. Now we have to be much broader in terms of our business development. And so yeah. building that uh, machine that that builds the pipeline has been very um it hasn't been difficult, but it's actually been quite exciting to do. And we brought in uh, a head of business development to help us do that. And, and she has been fantastic in reaching out and structuring programs to, to reach others. Yeah, I think that's, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, in terms of the, the business development side, it's it's actually a very common pain point. It's one of the reasons we founded Rocket Place and, and a very common pain point that we hear very often. As you know, Rocket Place only has very high quality firms on the platform. And when you think about very high quality firms that, you know, as you're describing Ativa, when it's small, you know, maybe when you were about five people, the amount of work you're able to do approximates the amount of work you're able to bring in through your personal network. And so that works and you feel very busy. And then as you grow the firm, um, you know, now you're 20 people and you're starting, you know, 20 plus people and you're starting to get better leverage and, you know, you have a couple of offices um, it's like, well, we can, we can not only can we take on more business and we might actually have some, some clients rolling off because they've kind of, we've, they've transitioned away and, you know, graduated quote unquote from us, but you know, we kind of, 
we have a, a bigger enterprise that we, you know, we need to bring business in and, and continue to grow. And then we recruit more people, et cetera. And it's really th- those businesses that constantly getting pinged on Rocket Place about they're, they're like right in our sweet spot because they are looking for more channels. You know, it's not just, it can't just be word of mouth anymore. Right. And they're thinking about what are those other channels of, you know, that we can get, get our name out there. And, and that, you know, from, from that standpoint, that's exactly the types of places that we're seeking to place, place our name. So, so it is, um, you know, what type of events are we hosting? Who are we partnering with? And, and how easy are we to find in different places? And so Rocket Place, as you're saying, would, is a great platform for that. Uh, or will will be a great platform for that for us, and we're we're excited to be to be a part of that. Um, but in addition, you know, we've got you know we still a lot of the services business, and, and this is very interesting, relies on um, that personal um, that that personal touch, me- meaning that you know at w- whether we're being introduced. Uh, through a platform like Rocketplace, or whether we're being introduced through a referral, how we come together uh, in conversation and develop trust and credibility through those initial conversations becomes very important. Mm-hmm. So there's still yeah. that connection that that needs to be made, mm-hmm. um, and and bringing those both together is is very very important. You know, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, okay, we're starting to grow quickly. We want to we want to bring some outside help a finance and accounting firm like Ativo in. What are the questions that I should be asking when I meet a firm like yours in order to understand that this is a good fit, this is what I'm looking for? How should I be evaluating firms like yours? I, I think first and foremost is experience. Um, and, and so who are the clients that we're working with? Are they similar to... Uh, your business in in terms of in terms of how you're building your business, like similar in terms of industry, similar in terms of size, industry and and size, yes. And I think then at the same time, similar in terms of aspirations, and meaning that are you do you, are you trying to grow as quickly as possible? And and so if you're going from zero to ten in in less than two years, how many clients have we worked with at Ativo that have gone from zero to ten in less than two years? Uh, and can we talk about that experience, the guidance that we provided, systems and team that we put in place, how we transitioned in a new team as we transitioned out? So we typically, if our firms are, if our clients are successful, they'll hire, begin to hire their full-time team as they grow, and we'll transition out as a part-time team. We'll fill in a round where. Uh, where there where there's holes and gaps in mm-hmm. in the finance and accounting team, but then ev- eventually we see that we'll come in on interim project bases and on basis bases and fill in holes where um, where they're needed. That's probably on entrepreneurs' minds as well. So they, I think, very often they could be thinking, should I work with a accounting and finance firm like a TiVo, or should I just hire a full time CFO? And and how would you advise between those decisions? Um, I th- I think early on when you when you think about hiring a firm like a TiVo, you've got the full gamut um, CFO, accounting manager, and accountant that can help provide um, 
work for you. And, and a lot and of times- Is that the typical team when you start a new engagement? You put a typically a CFO, accounting manager, and accountant on a project? That That's a typical start, yes. So, okay. yes. You're, yeah, you're getting three for less than the price of one. And and the other thing too, with, um, with thinking of, especially at that CFO level, what we find is that um, if the longer you can wait to bring in that lead finance person on a full-time better or on a full-time basis, mm-hmm. the better opportunities you'll have in terms of recruiting a, a, an individual, you, you'll have the opportunity mm-hmm. to recruit somebody with more experience. And so if you bring in somebody when you're, let's say at 2 million in revenue as a lead finance person versus bringing in a lead person, a lead finance person, when you're at 15 million in revenues, Mm -hmm. the experience and background of that particular individuals are going to be going to be very different. And so you can continue to work with the team like a TiVo until you're 15 or 20 million, then bring in a finance lead that can take you from 20 million to 60 million in, in revenues and not have to worry about having a change, you know, in that, because you've brought in somebody where you're two million in revenues, and and that experience going from two to sixty is very different than going from twenty to sixty. I want to ask you about other trends that maybe you're seeing seeing with, you know, fast growing um, uh, emerging growth startups. We talked a little bit about COVID. Uh, some of the other trends that are happening right now, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of talk around diversity. Um, I bet that's a common topic of discussion with with management teams. I'm wondering if you have thoughts around that or also, you know, maybe things like IPOs, companies staying private longer than they have in the past. I'd, you know, I'd love to understand a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing on the finance side over the over the last couple of years and, and right now. With, you know, in, in thinking first about diversity and, and thinking about that in terms of our clients, I'll, I'll go back to kind of what I alluded to with um, when you talked about when's the right time to bring on a CFO in that bringing on a firm like a TiVo that is um, structured around uh, fractional work, it allows our clients to um, take the time to make sure that they hire the right person. Mm -hmm. And many times with the clients that we're working with, one position where you can create diversity on a management team is that lead finance position. And mm-hmm. so that by using a TiVo, you're you're provided the opportunity to take the time to find somebody that has a diverse background that might be different than the existing management team. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's really smart. I mean, what you know, what I'm hearing is, you know, if if you're, you know, a leader, CEO of an emerging growth company, and diversity is important to you, you know, and as you're thinking about building a diverse set of leaders in your organization, one of the value propositions that Ativo can bring is, well, we're, we're there to support you as you think about building that team, right? You don't, you don't have to worry that, you know, I just have to hire this person and get a butt in the seat. We've, we've kind of got your back the whole way through. And, and quite frankly, you know, we probably can help you screen, source, qualify a, a wider array of high quality candidates. So we can help you be more successful in that initiative. The, the client can have the patience, take the time to do the evaluation and look at a much broader array of, uh, of people uh, for, for those particular positions. And, and again, I'll go back to say that a lots of times that VP finance or CFO uh, provide great opportunities to build diversity in the management team. Mm-hmm. 
you know, in, in terms of the other trends about thinking about um, staying private longer um, or, or delaying an IPO, you know, our, our focus is primarily on companies that have, say, less than 20 to 30 million in revenue. So we don't spend as much time growing into that IPO stage as, as, as a full-time CFO, full-time VP finance uh, would in supporting uh, those companies. But I, I do think that companies are staying private longer I th- for two reasons. One is the, the regulatory environment to go public is, you know, it, it costs money, takes resources to do that. And two, uh, I think there's a lot of capital um, that is looking for returns in the private markets before uh, companies go public to see if they can get those outsourced returns. And so you see uh, some some of these fund, much larger funds, putting significant amount of amounts of money into companies uh, before they go public. So there's there's not a reason for those companies to go public until a later stage because the capital is available to them. It's amazing the dichotomy in the world right now um, because we do have a tremendous amount of private capital out there. I was just talking to a friend who's an investor telling me about a large private company raising their Series N right now. And the companies were tens of billions of dollars. And mm-hmm. you know, they could, I'm certain they could go public if they wanted to, but they're st- you know, still, still keeping it private. While at the same time, we have a tremendous amount of entrepreneurs, a lot of young entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast that are actually struggling financially. And so, you know, because there's, you know, the world is changing rapidly right now and maybe they can't raise money. What advice do you have for those entrepreneurs out there? The entrepreneurs that are, you know, wish they had 36 months of runway. That, that's an interesting question. From our perspective, you know, as, as we went into the, uh, I'll say the COVID downturn, we spent a lot of time with our entrepreneurs um, redoing and remodeling the financial plan and, and saying, how can we extend runway longer? What are, what are those investments that we have to delay? It, what are those changes we need to make to the existing resources if required to extend runway through uh, mid, you know, it, it, let's say as long as, as long as reasonably possible. Um, and so that, so that's, so that's the first thing. The second thing is there, it is a, ch- a changed world. And I think the, you know, as we've spoken with a number of VCs, they're looking at their existing portfolio and making sure that those companies that they believe will be successful are, are funded well. And so there's not as much new investment going on, we believe, um, as, as there has been in the past. And so I think that's hard for entrepreneurs today who, if you had been thinking about um, your business in late 2019, the world has changed for those um, for those for those entrepreneurs uh, in terms of available capital. You know, it's definitely one of those moments where you have to imagine the advice is you know do everything you can um, to preserve one runway, get your burn as low as possible. Certainly, one of the things that you know I've ad- I've been advising other CEOs that I talk to, which is like the importance of getting as to break even or as close to break even right now really really makes a huge difference as we as we look to make sure we get through this pandemic and get kind of get to the other side of it and there's uncertainty with how right um, whether it's the pandemic itself or the economic effects of that how long that's going to last and how will that change the venture capital cycle i mean i wonder are there silver linings you see what's ha- what's been going on 
To be honest, I haven't seen silver linings yet, but I, I think there is a mentality to add you know, what entrepreneurs sh- should be thinking about is I think set expectations for funding a bit lower and manage resources more carefully. And I think that throughout the stages of growth, but especially at the early stages, if, if you th- are close to bootstrapped, it does create a certain discipline and mentality in a business that as you start to scale, you, you're probably not going to get ahead of yourself in terms of your spending. And, and a lot of times when we're talking to, to our entrepreneurs, it, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we have a revenue plan that's easy to put down on paper. But if we begin to allocate resources and spend those resources in, in ahead of that revenue plan, it's hard to bring that spending back. And so I think this um, economic downturn right now has will be forcing people to make sure that their their spending follows their revenues instead of their spending leading their revenues. And I think that's a very important discipline um, for entrepreneurs to to have as they scale their business. As a final question, I wanted to bring this back to to you as an entrepreneur. With everything that you know, you've learned over your career and running a TiVo. If you could give yourself any pieces of advice, the young, the young Greg, what what would be some of the advice you might give to yourself? You know, before embarking on this journey. Maybe there's two two pieces of advice. One is always listen and and listen first, and use that listening to learn and develop, and then. Um, don't be afraid to put professional to put professional development ahead of um, financial compensation or title or other things things like that because in the long run um, that professional development um, will help you advance in your career if if that's what you de- if that's what you desire. Have there been um, examples you'd be willing to share about times that you wish you had listened better? I, I worked at at one point in time with a rapidly scaling company that had a a managed team that was very experienced in scaling businesses. And as we were scaling this business, um, they advised me on patience around certain things in terms of building up the infrastructure for the business. And I pushed uh, very very hard to accelerate that and. Uh, and didn't understand how they were explaining um, explaining to me what their patience meant, and and as a result of that, we clashed in in this process for expanding this expanding this business. And I could have learned a lot uh, from from both these leaders um, if I had just sat back and and said, "Hey, you know, you guys you guys have done this before." I, I love the experience that you're sharing and and let let's grow this let's grow this together. Well, Greg, I really appreciate the time today. I think this was just very interesting hearing more about, you know, your firm and getting all of your advice on on building out the finance and accounting functions at at these companies. So thank you so much for joining us today on the startup stack. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you for having me and I enjoyed my time. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack. 
written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.